One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. I have one of my favorite humans on today to tell you about an amazing product that we both love. Well, thank you, honey. This is Milkman Mark Hyman here telling you about the almond cow, which I saw on those Instagram posts, and I thought, we've got to have one of these and see whether it is actually as good as it looks. And it is. It's actually even better because there are things that you can make out of it. Almond milk, oat milk. Cashew milk. Uh, coconut milk. Anything you want, you can make in this. And what's great is you have, there are fewer preservatives, less sugar, and then what you get left over at the end is this pulp that you can make into, can make cookies or muffins, so nothing goes to waste. And it's there anytime, so if you run out of milk, you don't have to run to the store. It is so amazing. We love it, love it, love it. So if you want to get your own, check out the link and use code Lara for extra savings. Approved by the Milkman. Good movement, and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have Natalie Silverstein. Natalie and I had a wonderful discussion about her work. She is an author, a speaker, a consultant, and passionate advocate for family and youth service. She discovered early on with three young kids that it was pretty challenging, even in New York City, to locate places to be of service, organizations. So she put her boots to the ground and got to work. She formed the Doing Good Together um, New York branch of the Minneapolis-based nonprofit with the mission of helping parents raise kids who care and contribute. She then has gone on to write two books, one for parents, Simple Acts, The Busy Family's Guide to Giving Back, and she recently has written one just for teens. It really is about doing good, and that can be in the form of service and the form of kindness, and we speak all about this today. She gives you some ideas how you can do this in your family, you can do this as an individual, and as a person in the world to be of service and how much we benefit when we give of ourselves. So please enjoy my talk with Natalie. Welcome, Natalie. So happy to have you on here. We've already chatted a bit and I can tell you are a change maker in the world. Thanks so much, Lara. So nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. So you're an author, a speaker, a consultant, and a passionate advocate for family and youth service. Give us a background how this all came to be. Well, um, yeah, I am a parent first and foremost, I guess. So my children are 21, 19 and 14, but really this work grew out of my own desire to do hands-on service with my kids. And we live in New York City, 
which is uh, a very big place and yet kind of a very small place and, uh, you know, a community with tremendous wealth and also tremendous need. And when my kids were young, I was sort of amazed and shocked that there really weren't a lot of organizations that would accept us as volunteers. And I think your listeners, if they have children, kind of understand this. You know, there are some insurance issues and other things like that. So, but I refused to accept that. And I sort of pushed back a bit. Um, I was not raised doing a ton of hands-on service. My parents are immigrants to this country. They worked many jobs to put food on the table. Um, They certainly were as philanthropic as they could be with their own community, with their church, et cetera. But um, I just understood understood instinctively, as I think most parents do, that the way to raise grateful, grounded, empathetic, compassionate, kind people is to expand their worldview, right? And to sort of meaningfully and mindfully walk through the world in a way where we are treating others as we would like to be treated ourselves and to engage in hands-on service. That really engenders, I think, gratitude for your own blessings, right? So I wanted to do this work with my kids. Let's say, you know, they're nine, seven, and five or something. Cannot for the life of me find any, any place to do this. And I start kind of pushing back. I also connected with an organization called Doing Good Together, which is a national nonprofit. It's based in Minneapolis that was creating and curating a listing of family-friendly volunteer opportunities for the Minneapolis-St. Paul region. And they also had wonderful resources on their website and stuff. So I, I connect with the founder there like 10 years ago. And as you know, I think you'll agree, like there are no coincidences in life, right? It's just sort of magical. I said, I'd love to kind of franchise this idea, like be your boots on the ground in New York City. And the founder, Jenny Friedman, writes me back. She's like, I can't believe I heard from you today. I was just thinking I want to do this, you know, like with the coincidence, there are no coincidences. So I became the first sort of regional uh, volunteer for doing good together. And in that role, which I've had for almost a decade, I do this curated listing that is pushed out to thousands of subscribers here. So by virtue of doing that, I was identifying all of these organizations that would welcome family volunteers and folks with younger children. And I became that person in my community, right? Everyone would say, oh, call Natalie. You know, you need an idea for a birthday party or a bar mitzvah project, or you have, uh, where should I donate my extra books? Where should I donate my kids' clothes that have been outgrown? You know, all of the things that parents um, realize as they're kind of moving through the world, where can we, where can we volunteer on Thanksgiving? Where can we volunteer around the holidays? Um, so I became that resource, the, you know, the volunteer person in my community. And I said to myself, um, there's a book here. There's a resource guide here because I believed that parents would use it and would need it and would want it. They just kind of needed it packaged up and sort of delivered on a silver platter. I think, sadly, everyone appreciates how important this is, but not a lot of people are going to take the time to look out in the world and figure it out. And I, I already had the resources and I had this passion. Um, and I put it all together in a way that I hoped would be actionable and easy for folks to use. And that's how it all came to be. I love that. And I, I, I echo everything you said. I mean, growing up, I went to church. We both are married to Jewish men, but, and we both went to church. But, and, and that was the way that you would do service is that right. there was always opportunities there. Yes. Um, now, with kids, many aren't necessarily going into some religious affiliations and, and wanting to just do some kind of service. It isn't as easy as you think. Right. And we also uh, decided as a family we wanted to do some volunteer trips to find something that accepted families. You're right. It was very difficult. Mm-hmm. We ended up doing 
a trip with um, Outreach 360. I don't know if that's on your list, but it's a wonderful program uh, that goes to, they, they go to both um, Dominican Republic and into, um, I think, Nicaragua and provide uh, teaching English Mm -hmm. to communities that that where that's really important. They also provide schooling because a lot of these communities only have uh, access to schools up through like fifth or sixth grade. And then right. and so and they know that education is key for getting jobs in um, industries like tourism. So it was a wonderful opportunity. But we yeah, my husband really had to you know look all around sure. and, and to find that. So it's wonderful that you did that. I'm curious. You have to that, work, yeah. you have to work really hard really to do hard. this good thing. You know, yes. it's so funny. You hear these stories all the time, like I have all these things to donate. No one wants to accept them. It, that's really frustrating, I think. Um, and so you, I actually believe that doing the work that you suggested, you know, going somewhere and doing this work in another community internationally, but of course, doing that work in your own community right outside your front door, being proximate with the people who are um, in need, perhaps, or the people who are just benefiting from the work that you're doing, sort of, it's, it makes it more of you're all on the same level, right? We're fortunate enough, we're privileged enough right now to do this work for someone else to provide these resources or, or to, to be able to help because for sure, at some point in our lives, we're going to be in need of help ourselves. And that's the way that I approach this with my kids. Like, we're just going to go out and do this service this afternoon or this weekend or whatever, because we're able to do it. And someday someone is going to help you. And that's, we're all humans here. We're all, um, you know, we're all in the same plane. It's not like us kind of looking down on and helping other people. This is a, it's an attitude of, of service towards others. And I also, I define service really broadly, broadly, especially in my teen book. You know, I believe that the service we do for each other starts in the home. You know, when, when kids take out the garbage and, and we're going to call, we can call them chores, we can call them all sorts of things, but your service to others begins with the people that you live with, the people that you're in community with, in school, in after school activities, on your sports teams, um, in the show that you're working on with others, you know, all of that good stuff in your faith community. Um, you know, we need to have a broader definition of community and we're all responsible for each other. And that's so important for, for kids and teens to understand. I love that. I feel like it's kind of like the infinity sign, whether mm -hmm. you're paying it forward or paying it backward. Like right. we don't know who helped our ancestors, you know, that's in the right. past that have gotten us to a position that we have more um, time, resources, privilege to help others. And yeah, like you said, it's a continuum. It isn't um, these kind of hierarchies of, you know, where we're just pitting a people, but we're really realizing that we, if not for something else, we could all be in the same 100%, situation. A hundred percent. And language is so important, right? I talk about this in my first book with young children. I think it's important for teens as well. You know, we don't, we don't other people. A person is not homeless. A person is experiencing homelessness or is living marginally, right? A person is experiencing a financial hardship that is creating a situation in which they are not housed presently, right? Mm -hmm. Hunger and food insecurity are these things as well, right? So we don't other a person by calling them hungry or homeless or poor or, you know, impoverished, all of these things. You know, I think that that's 
you know, that is so important. We're, we're very particular about the way that we address each other and pronouns and all these other things. I think that we should be really mindful of those things as well, because that's a sense of respect for the humanity of the other person. And that's really what it's all about. But again, you know, back to that sort of proximate thing, both of my books, both the, the Family's Guide and now the Teen's Guide is about not necessarily just raising money or writing a check or something like that. And although those things are very important, as we know, all nonprofits need financial resources to survive and thrive and to meet their mission. I'm talking about the work that we do in the community in a hands-on way and also the way that we walk through our lives, sort of mindfully, meaningfully keeping our eyes, ears, hearts and minds open sort of to the needs of other people, you know, holding the door for the person behind you, you know, putting a few coins in the jar that says college fund at the coffee shop, these little things, smiling at a stranger, smiling at the person who's serving you in the store, the restaurant, um, using a person's name if their name tag is there. I mean, these are such simple things. This is not rocket science, but I actually think it makes a big, big difference. And it improves your own mental health. I think doing these things, if you walk through the world in this way, you will feel better. I, I actually guarantee it. <laughs> I, I agree. It was such a generosity of spirit with that. And, you know, like you said, um, recognizing people in all situations with dignity because mm -hmm. everybody deserves that. And it's the, I think it's the quickest thing to uh, kind of set aside is to treat others uh, in as others, you know? Right. Right. I'm curious, before you dive into talking about your book, like living in New York City, what are some examples for anybody that's living in a city where you all are walking around and you see people in, in the entire spectrum of, you know, financial uh, security to not, when you see people who are living on the street, um, see people who are begging for money, what, like what always shocked me, and, and I think it does with all kids in particular, when they start to see people that are living, mm -hmm. that are in these um, situations, they don't have a home, whether it's a temporary thing or a permanent thing, and they're really accosted by that. And, right. and then I think people just become a little, I don't want to say numb to it, but because it's it's so in your face in a city like New York or other cities. Um, I hear San Francisco's gotten really mm -hmm, um, bad mm -hmm. and stuff. Like, what are some tips that you can give us to uh, best handle the situation beyond just, yes, giving a coin or money as needed, but um, what are some other tips? Well, I think, um, you know, what I used to do when the kids were really little, and I try and do it a little bit now, especially if I'm on my way to the market, <laughs> is instead of money, you know, to actually hand a person a granola bar. So when I would have the stroller, you would you would always have a lot of food and a lot of stuff underneath the stroller, right? So if a person is truly asking for food, for a meal, for something to sustain themselves, you can have bottles of water, right? When it's really hot out, you can have granola bars. You know, some people actually create um, care kits that they keep in their car for, for people who drive more. We're kind of a walking community here in New York City or in the stroller or in their bag that they carry every day that are, you know, either a, a little kit that has a sandwich or a granola bar or a, you know, a drink or an apple or, you know, some toiletries. Toiletries are actually a very big thing for people who are experiencing homelessness. And just to be able to hand something to someone in a, in a way, again, that's like, hope this, hope this is helpful, right? I can't, I don't have any cash right now, but I hope that this is helpful or whatever. Um, and so by doing this with the stroller or with the children, there's a nice example of, well, this is a human being. They're asking for help. We're not going to, you know, I've also had the experience of, of my husband has like taken the person if they're in front of a bodega or something and bringing them inside and letting them 
order something and then paying for it, right? So that truly is if the person's looking for food, you know, you are truly just, you know, making that wish come true right in that moment, um, as opposed to like a few coins, as you said, you know, we're not sure what the purpose of, of asking for the money is, but more importantly, like they have to save up a lot of coins just to get a sandwich or something. So this is, a you know, kind of a concrete way of, of, of approaching that. And the other thing that I like to do with my kids is to really think about what are the organizations in our community that are helping sort of the root issue here? Because Sometimes, and it's, you know, homelessness is such a complicated issue, which we could never possibly address in one podcast, but because it involves mental health, it involves financial resources, it involves housing, um, politics, you know, so much. But one of the things that we try and do is look at the organizations that are really meaningfully making a difference. And there are so many, particularly in large cities like San Francisco and New York City and Chicago. You know, there is a Department of Homelessness. There are nonprofits. Their, their whole purpose is to try and kind of crack the nut of this problem and to figure out temporary housing, permanent housing, social services. Many times folks who are on the street want to be there. It, you know, you'll hear that story of someone being invited to come in on a cold night um, or a very, very hot night. Um, and they don't want to because that's where they feel comfortable. They've experienced some kind of trauma either in their own home life or in, a, 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 unfortunately, in the shelter system. And so they're more comfortable on the street. This is where they choose to be. Okay, so now where, how can we meet them where they are? How can we make sure that they're safe, that they have clean socks, that they have food, you know, that they have the medication that they might need or whatever. And there's a lot of homeless outreach that is done. And then the next step, of course, is to think about housing and, and you know, those, those types of much more complicated issues. But there are lots of organizations that do this work at a, you know, are much smarter about it and understand all of the intricacies of it. And so how can we as a family both support those organizations, learn more, you know, I think curiosity is so important instead of judgment. Like, let's learn a little bit about, you know, the housing situation. Let's learn about what the shelter system looks like, why someone might not want to be there. Um, we have a, a shelter, a men's shelter in our temple, which unfortunately had to shut down during COVID. We house eight men every single night who go through a system of being assessed um, through, you know, uh, just to make sure that everything, that they have a job, that they're working towards a job, they're working towards housing, there are no drugs, no alcohol, no weapons, whatever, they're brought on a bus, and they're housed there, and they need volunteers when the shelter is open every single night to sleep there to ensure that the men are comfortable, they have everything they need, and to sort of protect the integrity of our of our sanctuary. So my kids and I, starting when they were very young, would sleep the night there, and everyone would say to me, aren't you afraid? to stay in this place with these men who are experiencing homelessness. And I'd say, no, I was never afraid, not one time. Mm. Like they are so grateful. They come in, they're grateful for a bed, a clean place to sleep, a bathroom. They have their, some of them have laptops. Some of them have full-time jobs. They're in school or whatever. They've been screened. I'm there with my kids, uh, typically with another adult volunteer. And it was just a wonderful experience. I, I don't know. I, I, again, get proximate, talk to people listen to their stories. This isn't so scary, you know? Um, and what can we do aside from the, the reality of the situation that you're faced with in, on the street? And sometimes folks are experiencing mental health challenges. And so they can feel, it can feel, feel very threatening. They can actually threaten you. So that's obviously a situation where you and your children want to stay safe. Um, but, you know, just as opposed to being like kind of constantly afraid, sort of kind of get in there and figure out, you know, what are the kind of constructive things that we can do? 
to try and to try and just move the needle even a tiny little bit, hmm. you know? I love that. Now, I'm, I do know for people, so many people, so many of us, there's so much uh, pain and anguish in the world, and <laughs> it can feel so overwhelming. And I think this can be, a, unfortunately, a big block for starting this path to service. What are some recommendations for people who are just feeling kind of overwhelmed by mm. the amount of um, need and suffering? Yes. Right. I, I mean, listen, my, one of my favorite phrases is Arthur Ashe, you know, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can, right? Mm, mm -hmm. Like we, no one expects you to solve world hunger or homelessness or anything. You know, we all get so overwhelmed by this idea that we're never going to fix the education system. We're just educational disparities. We're never going to fix poverty. We're well, we're never going to fix them if we all kind of raise, throw up our hands and give up, right? So start with the small, tiny little thing that you can do. And so it is, this is all about all of my work, all of the stuff that I talk about in my books is about finding something that you can do, a way that you can use your talents, your skills, your strengths, your gifts, because everyone has them. And that's a big part of my book is helping teens to identify what those are. And I'm not talking about being a, you know, a concert pianist or, you know, whatever. I'm talking about, you know, you're good at something or you enjoy doing something. You love playing basketball or something. Maybe you could mentor younger children and, and teach basketball in a local, you know, place with kids who then start to look up to you. Think about the confidence boosting that that is for both the kids and for the teen, right? And we know this over and over again. You know, the research is so clear on this, that volunteering, serving others is good for your health both your physical health and your mental health, 150%. Volunteers live longer, they are happier, they are more connected, they have less depression, less anxiety. I mean, it's just, there, there are no downsides to this. Um, and the confidence boost and the self-agency that, that teens in particular get and the social connection, let's remember they're coming out of two years of social isolation and academic disruption, where I think that volunteering in our community, especially connecting with other teens who share similar interests and doing this work together is so, so important to their mental health and to trying to reconnect in a really meaningful way, sort of connecting with our own humanity, right? So, you know, I know it seems overwhelming and none of my work suggests that we should all quit our jobs, you know, Greta Thunberg, quit school, sail across the ocean and speak <laughs> to the UN, right? These are unreasonable expectations for any human and certainly any teenager, who is just trying to get through the day, right? Mm -hmm. And is just trying to get their homework done and study for the SAT. Like, I get it. It's a really, it's really hard growing up and particularly right now. All I'm saying is that if you can find the space and the time, and you always can, because that's a sense of prioritizing, right? This notion that like, oh, we're so, so, so busy. We couldn't possibly volunteer. It's funny. We can find time for a lot of things, a lot of soccer practice, a lot of hockey practice, a lot of tutoring. We can find time because we can make the time because we can say to ourselves, this is the priority for us. This is the priority for our family. Um, that work will sustain you and fulfill you and give your life joy and meaning in a way that none of those other activities will. So just start small. Start right now. Start today. Start with like committing to yourself that you'll smile at the person who's holding the door for you or say, how are you? Good morning. 
I know that that seems really cliched and silly, but I truly believe that at the end of the day, and then of course, feeling grateful for all of those opportunities, we know this, expressing gratitude or writing things down. Uh, if you literally start a practice of writing what you're grateful for every evening, one or two things, or saying it at the dinner table after some number of days, I don't know, studies show, you're actually more grateful. <laughs> you're yes, you're encoding that behavior. 100%, absolutely, It's a habit. It just becomes a habit and a way that we move through the world and a way that we role model this behavior for our kids, for our younger, our younger people, you know, greeting people and smiling and looking someone in the eye. People just want to see, feel seen mm -hmm. and heard and, and known. That's all. That's what, that's all anybody wants. So I think that if you can role model that for your kids and your teens, uh, it's going to, it's going to have just, you know, so many wonderful things for them as they move through the world. And then of course, to actually take the extra step and find the ways that you could give back in your community. I mean, those, those the gifts of those things. I mean, the stories that I have from our own family are just, these are the priceless things. These are the things they're going to remember when they're grown up, you know, not oh. the, not the Legos, not the trip to Disney, you know? Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I kept on thinking, I can't remember who said this, but the antidote to despair is action. And so right. when we do feel overwhelmed, right. um, action will help us as it helps others. And it is really, like you said, it is a, it, we get, we will get even more than we will receive as, as much as we give. If, right. If not more, if, if not, not more. more, you know, the old Mr. Rogers, you know, that his mother mm -hmm. said to him when things were looking bad, just look for the helpers. I don't know about you, but that was the only thing that got me through the first few months of the pandemic was looking out into the world and seeing these people who were literally risking their lives such that people could get their groceries mm -hmm. I know, <laughs> or their hot I know. food, you know, the, the delivery men and the folks, you know, the healthcare workers and here in New York city every night at seven o'clock, which continued for months, people leaning out their windows and cheering for the healthcare workers. I mean, these things matter. And I, I don't want us to, uh, it's funny, I wrote a piece, uh, just a personal essay at some point, you know, midway through the pandemic. I don't really want to go back to normal, whatever normal was before the pandemic. I want us to remember what it was like to be terrified and mm -hmm. to be home and to feel disconnected from other human beings. I want us to appreciate the perspective that we gained. I hope that we don't just kind of say, oh, well, that was rough. Let's move on. You know, let's remember that it was, we had to look out for each other, for your elderly neighbor, your homebound neighbor who couldn't get groceries because they were terrified to go to the market. And, and I think about all these organizations that sprung up over the pandemic to help their, for, for people to help their neighbors to survive, to get mm. through it. And that's what personal responsibility is, right? Just making sure that I'm taking care of myself, but I'm also taking care of you by taking care of myself, right? Exactly. So if somebody is interested in getting involved, they're like listening, how do I, oh my gosh, where, where is a good uh, place to go that they could type in like volunteer opportunities in, you know, I'm in Princeton, New Jersey, but sure. where would they go for that? Well, listen, I, the, both books have uh, resource guides that list out all of the organizations, both kind of state by state and national. Um, Obviously, there are organizations like the United Way, the American Red Cross. There are um, volunteer match sort of type organizations where you, you put your 
zip code in and it will spit out. Many large cities have its own database. You know, New York City has its own database. New York Cares is a private organization that provides volunteer opportunities. Um, Doing Good Together is a wonderful resource if you're in one of the communities where there's a volunteer. Now, I started that work years ago, and now there's, you know, a dozen of us all over the country that do this work for families in particular. But it is funny, you know, Googling, people always ask me, like, where can I volunteer to do X, Y, and Z? I will typically start with a Google search. And I think to myself, that person yeah. could have done the same thing, but okay. Um, and you will be surprised at what pops up. I will also suggest to you that um, around certain holidays, you will find listings that typically get published in your local newspaper or someone on the news will do a how to volunteer on the holidays, how to volunteer for Thanksgiving. Um, Martin Luther King Day in January is actually the Martin Luther King Day of service. So if you go on the MLK.org um, or something, they, they have their own website, which then, again, has a searchable database of organizations all over the country that are that are honoring Dr. King with a day of service. It's not just a day to go skiing, right? And and the 9-11 day of service. So 9-11 was designated some number of years, of years ago as an officially a day of service. So that as well has a 9-11, I think it's literally 911.org uh, day of service. Uh, so that will have tons and tons of opportunities around those holidays. But then what I would suggest to you is once you find something, that's the organization or the cause or the issue that you will continue to be involved in moving forward. Because as I like to tell people, you know, Thanksgiving is such a wonderful time to give back. You should absolutely do that. And Christmas and Hanukkah and and the giving holidays, as I call them. But here's the thing. So many people hit January 1 and they forget that those organizations that they supported at a high level during the holidays are in need on in January and February, March and April and May, and particularly over the summer. You know, food pantries are completely empty over the summer. Many organizations are desperate for volunteers over the summer. Why? Because we all go off on our lives and we take our kids to camp and we go on vacation and we sit on the beach and we forget that those organizations are very much in need, probably more so um, at those times of the year. So, you know, it's finding that initial organization or or idea that you're gonna work on and then kind of sticking with it and creating a habit of service. You know, I talk about this in my first book, you know, the traditions around the holidays and things are things that you should do every single year because those are the things your kids will remember, not the toy, right? That toy will be in the landfill way, way, quicker. Um, And then also creating these habits. You know, what are we going to do on a regular basis? Is it every week, every other week, every month? Um, That is the stuff that sticks. And what is the, you know, there's statistics around this, you know, if you have to do something like 12 times or whatever before it becomes a habit. So, you know, and finding something that you enjoy, that your family enjoys doing together. And I think this is big for teens, giving them the agency, giving them sort of the control over the type of work that they're doing. You know, you might try a volunteer project or, you know, an event or something, and it's just not for them. So then say, okay, that maybe wasn't for you. So what do you like to do? What, what is it something that you, what's a gift that you have? What is something that you enjoy doing that we could maybe marry to an issue that you care about and then find a way for you to give back in that way? I love that. Is there anything people should be kind of look for in terms of um, aligning or working with a nonprofit? Uh, You know, most of them we know are great. Some are maybe not so much. So are there any kind of markers we should? Yes. 
Yeah, for sure. So vetting, vetting your nonprofit partners, as I like to call them, is important, particularly if you're taking your kids with you. Um, so as you know, Charity Navigator, and there are several others like that, are organizations that accredit, essentially, that um, review and give star ratings and, and things like that to different nonprofit organizations. First off, a nonprofit has to be a 501c3, right? So this is, you know, by virtue of the IRS and everyone else, this is a nonprofit organization. So your time, your money, your resources, everything is going to be, you know, they have a fiduciary responsibility to give back in a meaningful way um, to the community that they're serving, right? So you want to make sure that all of their kind of all the ducks are in a row, that they have a board, that they have management, that they have volunteer coordinators. You know, the, the best organizations are going to be the ones that have a, a training program for you and your family, that welcome you in, that give you ideas about when, you know, ways that you can engage in this work. It should always, when you look at a website, it should always seem very kind of professional and put together. It should say Charity Navigator on it. If it doesn't, you know, you want to, you want to take a look more deeply at that. Um, it's obviously really great to just kind of hear from others, the organizations that they've worked with. Word of mouth is really important in, in parenting and in everything, as we know, like you're going to, you're not going to go to the dance studio that no one's ever been to, right? You're going to go to the dance studio for your kid with that your friend's kids all went to. So, you know, if you know of a friend doing this kind of work in the community, find out about it, you know, and if you know, if you found something amazing shout it, shout it from the rooftops, invite friends to come with you. The organization will thank you. Um, but obviously I think it is really important that you connect with the people in charge, that you feel that they know what they're doing, that they have you know, a, a good sense of mission. And I also think it's important that the folks that are being served um, that there's a level of respect and, and dignity that's given to them, but that also that they're sort of engaged in the work themselves. Meaning, you know, I, I remember hearing in a conference once someone said, nothing about us without us. Hmm. So meaning the folks who are being served should have some voice and some agency in the way that the help is being provided to them or that the organization is being is being run. I think of a, a local, the Westside Campaign Against Hunger, which is a food pantry here in our neighborhood that we support, but it also provides social services. It has a wonderful chef's um, cooking class for some of the clients who want to come and learn how to, how to cook professionally, how to be sous chefs, that then launches them, gives them a certificate so they can go and get jobs. You know what I'm saying? So it, it kind of takes people through. It doesn't just hand someone a bag of food and say, go ahead and figure it out. It provides all of these others, how to get um, food stamps, you know, other social services that they might need, how to do their taxes, healthcare, you know, this, this chef's, you know, uh, culinary class, you know, that's an organization that's looking at hunger and food insecurity more broadly. And, and it's, you know, comes out of it, they, they do the work out of the basement of a church in my neighborhood, right? It's like this little shoestring operation. But more importantly, the folks who are coming to receive the services and the food also volunteer. Mm. So look for that. Yeah. Like look, look for that. So that when you're working on the line, filling the bags, you're standing next to folks who also benefit from this, from this work, but they're here volunteering their time. That is super important. And again, it makes it more, we're all on the same level here. We're all working for the same common good. And it, it brings the work home and it brings it really proximate. So um, those are just some of the tips. You know, I, I think obviously if you are passionate about something, your kid really, really wants to get involved and you find an organization that typically doesn't accept volunteers, but they've accepted you, um, you know, you want to stay safe. You always want to stay with your <laughs> kids and your teens. Um, and, but something, something spe special things can kind of come up out of 
out of unorthodox situations, but your best bet is always to start with these you know, larger organizations where it's easy to sign up. They have a training program. They make you sign a, a release form. You know, people who kind of have professionalized this, who really, who really know what they're doing, and and you can ask for their financial, you know, their 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 reports and things to make sure that they're also um, doing the right thing for putting them. The, yeah, putting the money in the right places. Of but course. I love what you were saying about the kind of full circle of like really getting empowered. You know empowering others by not just giving a handout, but also right. giving them the tools, whether it's being a sous chef or something else that then helps them get them, you know, work for themselves One, as well. It's A it's thousand beautiful. percent. Those are the most successful organizations in my view. An organization that doesn't just hand something to somebody and walk away. It's the one that hands something to someone and then says, okay, now what can we do moving yeah. forward? How can we, and how can we engage you to help us Mm -hmm. to help other people like that's you know and there are so 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 many i mean every every community i don't care where you live and this notion that like oh you live in new york city it's easy for you to say you know there are people in need in every community every pocket of every community of our country there may not be as many really wonderful well-funded nonprofits. if not typically national organizations might come in so a save the children or a united way Etc. will be, you know, will be on the ground doing this work. Um, there's, there's no end to the helpers if you just keep your eyes open to look for them. That's a good quote. No end to the helpers. <laughs> so let's just talk a little bit about your most recent book. Um, obviously, it contains a lot of what you're telling us now, but what was the mission of this book? What can people expect to find in the book? Yep. So it's really written for teenagers, which was an, an interesting challenge because the first book was written for parents and I'm a parent and that was easy because I talked to parents all day long. So for this one, I was a little like, hmm, I don't want to sound preachy or naggy or really like cringy, you know, <laughs> I have teenagers. So I know I have a 14 year old and a 19 year old and a 21 year old, but you know, I knew that the, the tone had to be right and not to feel like I'm talking down to them and telling them what to do because frankly, teenagers have people doing that all day long, their own parents, others in their, you know, other adults in their lives and educators. I want it to just be this kind of mentor voice that says, you you don't need to change the whole world. No one's expecting you to do that. You don't have to quit school, fly across the world and build, you know, build something, build houses or or sail or, you know, speak to the UN. What you do need to do is be a good, kind and decent human being. And this is how you can do it kind of on a day-to-day -day basis, understanding how busy. Again, the subtitle of all of these books is the busy teens, the busy families, like, because that's the thing, you know, I don't want this to be another thing on a very long list of of to-dos where people feel stressed out, like, oh my God, we didn't, you know, volunteer this week. No, this should be a joyful, wonderful, additive, meaningful part of, of life, family life and teens' lives. So it's really written for teens. And I start off with this kind of basic premise, like you don't have to, how am I supposed to change the world when I have basketball practice and homework? You're not. Here's the secret. You're not going to change the whole world, but there are things that you can do in your day-to-day -day life to make a meaningful difference. Really, even the smallest pebble thrown into the water makes a splash, right? A ripple. Every mm -hmm. single one. And kids need to understand and appreciate that. So it helps them walk through this sort of self-assessment. There's really a self-assessment tool. What are the things I care about? What are the things I'm passionate about? I'm angry about? I'm curious about? What are my strengths, gifts? You know, what am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? 
And then how do I marry those two things? And then how do I go out into the world and find organizations that can benefit from the gifts that I have? Because again, I think a lot of teens will say, well, I'm not good at anything or, you know, whatever. Everybody has something to give. And so help them, helping them to see that in themselves. And let's be honest, parents are probably going to have to encourage, caregivers are probably going to have to encourage them to really dig deep to figure this out. Because I promise you, if they can connect something they enjoy doing that they're good at, that makes them feel really proud of themselves with the work, they will enjoy it more and they'll want to continue to do it, right? This notion of like, how do I, I can get my kid to do the thing one time, but I can't get them to continue to want to do the thing. They're going to want to continue if they've connected to the work or to the people. And also if they feel a sense of responsibility, right? I was on another podcast and the woman mentioned that her son was working, had some learning um, differences, difficulty reading when he was younger, dyslexia, and he had started mentoring a young boy in reading. And so he was helping this kid who had the same issues that he had had. And then he tried out for the football team and he had to go to football practice, but it was at the same time that he had a commitment to, to mentor this little boy who now he's like fallen in love with, has a relationship with this kid. And he said to the coach, no, I can't come during that hour because I have to mentor this other kid. And the coach heard him out and was like, yeah, you have a responsibility to this, to this other person who's counting on you. What a wonderful gift to give mm, a teenager, right? Amazing. Yes. To say that this work that you're doing is important enough, makes you feel good about yourself, but more importantly, look how you're impacting this child, right? So if they can connect their joy, their, their purpose, their passion to the work, I think it's, it's going to be more successful. So then the chapters go on with like fundraising, kind of my top ideas for fundraising. And again, these are not, this is not rocket science. Nothing I said here is like, I didn't invent any of this, but the truth is teens are enthusiastic and energetic. And I do think they're kind of like water off a duck's back. Like you and I might have a hard time asking someone for money or whatever, but teens are like, eh. you know, they stand on the corner, they're selling the chocolate bars. You want a chocolate bar, you don't want a chocolate bar, they don't care. If you say no to them, they're, they're moving on to the next person. If you can harness that, and if you can get them to want to do the work together, they're going to have fun. And that's, that's really the, you know, putting the fun kind of back in fundraising. There's a chapter about social entrepreneurship. I think that's a really important thing for kids to understand that you can do well by doing good. This is kind of an overused phrase, but right, like you don't have to be, you know, cutthroat in, in your career and in what you, what you aspire to do. You can actually, in every type of career, I'm sorry, I don't care what it is that you do, you can have an aspect of the work that you do, even if it's the way that you treat your coworkers, that you are, you are helping others and, and you're, you're contributing to the common good. So social entrepreneurship is really about what that concept means. And then I also wanted teens to really think about their their choices. They're, they're kind of a very important demographic in terms of buying power, right? And if a teenager has the opportunity to choose a brand of something where a portion of the proceeds of what they're buying, because they were going to buy it anyway, right? Bottle of water. If that, if the portion of those proceeds are going to go to a charitable organization that's doing good in the world, make that choice if you can, if that's a financial, uh, you know, if that's something that you can choose to do, all things being equal, Choose the organization that has a mission of actually caring about the world that it works in or the people that work for them. That also involves, you know, buying clothing that is not made off of the blood and sweat of, of children in, in other countries and understanding what that means, right? Um, so there's a chapter on that. You know, I just, I really wanted to kind of focus on the things that kids 
can actually um, impact in their own lives. They're, they're not people who vote yet, for the most part, most teenagers, um, but there's, that doesn't mean they, they can't become politically active. They can't register others to vote. If they drive, they can't drive people to the polling stations, right? There are so many, so many things they can do. And finally, there's a chapter in there that I think is super important, which is something that I'm really trying to do, which is on social media, we're all on social media, it's so important, but we, I really only follow positive, uplifting, kind, you know, engaging content that is doing good for the rest of the world. That's amplifying positive stories and amplifying others' work, you know, because we rise by lifting others. And I'm just trying to encourage kids in that chapter to say, instead of getting sucked into the vortex of negativity and sarcasm and meanness that we have in our sort of public discourse, what if I really, for just a little while, only followed accounts where someone was kind and positive and thoughtful and, and generous, and these are good, good messages of kindness, and then amplify those. You know, follow, follow the nonprofits that you care about. Follow people who actually care about other people and, and see how much good you can do just in that realm and also for your own mental health. Yeah, see how it makes you feel. A hundred percent. It's very different. It's a different feeling when you're um, seeing good being done or, like you said, just kind words as opposed to... Um, trying to knock other people down. A hundred percent. I'm so, I'm so sick of, you know, kids sitting around looking at YouTube videos of people making fun of other people or pranking them or doing, that's all fine. That's all well and good. You know, laugh once in a while or whatever comedy. What if we really focused on using social media for the good to mm -hmm. spread positivity? I think it would change even again, just move the needle a little bit, just delete a few of those accounts where it's just someone being mean and nasty and, and talking badly about other people. What if you just didn't even pay attention to those people? If we didn't pay attention to them, it would tone down that messaging, right? And it would also take away their power, right? That's exactly. like you know, the whole bully thing. Like, just don't even listen to them. How sad, be sad for them <laughs> that this is all you can put out in the world. I would so much rather, you know, follow a positive, uplifting account where someone is amplifying some other, someone else's good news. That's, that's great. I'd rather hear that all day long. Yeah. Well, it sounds like this book is really um, helping people construct a lifestyle. So this, mm -hmm. like you were saying, the habits um, of wellness, which includes, you know, thinking of others. And it's really how to do that because in many ways, they, this is not part of the education system. It's not, right. you're just relying on people's home lives and they might be getting a little bit of dose of that, but this bigger world around them can be more um, impactful. So I, I love that it's, it's really helping people create that lifestyle of kindness and service and thinking of others. Yeah, I hope I hope so. And I hope that teens who who read it or who are inspired to read it, and, and let's face it, I, I know that I'm sort of preaching to the choir. I know that the kids who are probably going to read this book are the kids who are sort of already actively engaged in this, or to take a more cynical view, perhaps some kids will read it or parents will, you know, caregivers will purchase it for teens who need to do service to check a box for their education. And I do have a chapter in there that talks about, you know, make the hours, don't count the hours, make the hours count, hmm. which is all about, you know, this notion that kids, teens typically do have a requirement 
to do some service in the community. So let's try and flip the narrative on that. How can you actually take that as an opportunity to find something in your community that you connect to? Um, and so, and I talk about community service versus service learning, which is an academic, you know, curricular concept where, you know, service is woven into a curriculum. Um, and I talk about ways that you can actually use your downtime, your, your off time, your, your school vacations, et cetera, um, to find things that both impact your education, maybe something you can talk about on a college essay. I, you know, I appreciate cynically that this might be the motivation for some people to pick up the book. I hope that after they've actually read the book, that it changes their feeling about it a little bit. And it just shifts that mindset a little bit that this isn't something I'm being forced to do. This is something that is my privilege to do. And this is how I'm gonna find you know, a way to, to connect my passions with, with my purpose. Our whole goal here at the end of the day is to help kids A, feel better about themselves because I think we're coming out of a really tough time and mental health is, is really, we're in a mental health crisis with our young people, sadly. I think that if they can just get a healthy dose of that helper's high, they will, it will just feel so good and they'll want to continue to do it and they will start to feel better and more confident and more engaged and connected. And then that will automatically lead to adults who actually care about other people and about the common good and about the world around them in a meaningful way. And they'll be purpose-driven leaders, right? That's what we want. We want kids to grow up not looking out for number one all the time, right? To think, how can I take care of myself and be successful, of course, but how can I then spread that with to other people? Because if we rise by lifting others, if I do well, you do well, the whole community does well. And that's a perspective. We know that good leaders, um, successful people, are people in the workplace who have that perspective, 150%. Um, the person who's only out for themselves is typically not very successful. And if they are, they're certainly not very happy. Mm, so true. Oh, well, this has been such a pleasure to talk to you, Natalie. I'm Thanks very so inspired and so grateful for all the good work you're doing, how you saw there was a, a need and you filled it and you filled it with joy. And that joy is contagious. And I really feel it and am inspired by your work. So everyone so listening, much. make sure you check out um, Natalie's book. We'll have the reference in the show notes and you will, for a short amount of time, you'll have an opportunity to buy it with a discount. So check out all those details on the show notes. Where else can people find out more about you, Natalie? Sure. Um, my website is simpleaxeguide.com. And then my social media, I'm particularly on Instagram. And again, I just amplify other people's great stories and, and opportunities to volunteer in the community and things like that. Um, but that's at simpleaxeguide. Love it. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate um, your time and, of course, your work and that spark of enthusiasm you clearly have for the work you're doing. Thank you so much, Lara. This was such a pleasure. And for everybody listening, as always, I'm pulling for you.